for the June 10th, 2022 edition of Weekly Signals Weekly Review. A personal recollection of the last 168 hours of history, broadcasting on National Ballpoint Pen Day from the <laughs> University of California at Irvine, mm-hmm. in the backyard of KUCI 88.9 FM. I'm Nathan Callahan. And I'm Mike Caspar. And... As always, the leader of the free world, Mahler, the fake news dog. (laughs) That's right, Mahler. Yeah. Give it to him. Yeah. Today, we'll be talking about the James Webb Space Telescope micrometeoroid collision. Yes. COVID-sniffing dogs, the taser drone, protecting kids from drag shows and other inappropriate displays, and then some. But first, have you ever encountered a UFO, Mike? Uh, not, no, not in the sense of I have, I wasn't face to face with something I didn't know or understand or something dropped out of the sky. No, I've seen things in the sky that I couldn't explain, but I don't think I've ever had an encounter with a UFO. You mean like? Flies and stuff like that? <laughs> yes, yeah, something yeah, like that. Flies, bees. You know, things... How can you explain something like that? <laughs> no, I have not, Nathan. Have, uh, how about you? Oh, yeah. 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 I know you told you me. You know that one story? And yeah, yeah. I like to keep it private because I don't want people to think I'm crazy. No, I don't think you're crazy. At least over that. Yeah, exactly. And, yeah, yeah. and I didn't want to see it. Right. I wasn't even trying to see it. Yeah. Maybe. And I was young. And I was with my father. I was going to say, yeah. And we both looked at each other. We were walking the dog, you know? Yeah. We were just being innocent. Yeah. We were going back into the house, and we looked up toward uh, what would be Sepulveda Pass at yeah. the time. I yeah. lived in the San Fernando Valley. And saw something the size, and I know this is going to sound stupid, but the size of the mothership. And perspectives were all right, too, because I saw the going over the hills yeah. into Los Angeles. Slowly. With blinking lights. I've never seen anything so huge in my life. And apparently it caught the attention of a lot of other people in Los Angeles. The Times ran a story that it was a, like the second stage of a Russian rocket. That was hovering over Los Angeles. Yeah, it just happened to be in our part (laughs) of the world. And, And the story was just dropped. I would assume that if a stage of a rocket is being released from the rocket... Over Los Angeles or in this general area, it would be going down. Mm-hmm. That would be this was Yeah, this was going just horizontal, completely horizontal and just cruising. And there was no tail on it or anything. It was like a regular flying object. I have no idea. From the NASA newsletter, that would be the National Aeronautics Space Administration, they announced that they're going to join the hunt for UFOs. They're forming a team that would look at observations of events that cannot be identified as aircraft or known natural phenomena. Mm-hmm. The announcement comes just weeks after a rare and historic hearing before Congress on sightings of what the Defense Par- Department calls unidentified aerial phenomena. That's what we're supposed to call them now. Unidentified aerial phenomena. UAPs or... Yeah. Okay. I just, like UFOs just because I grew up with it. Yeah. Yeah. What's so... Yeah. Unid- unidentified flying objects. Why is unidentified aerial phenomena any more 
concise or you know what would make the change maybe it they just felt it had a bad reputation maybe somebody copyrighted it and they didn't want to i don't know spend the money yeah those are of course ufos and a report issued last year is another thing that happened regarding ufos recently of a report issued last year by the director of national intelligence that cataloged more than 140 flying objects that officials were not able to identify mm-hmm. NASA said it was concerned not just about national security, but also air safety. So, (laughs) it also said there's no evidence UAPs, unidentified aerial phenomena, are extraterrestrial, extraterrestrial in origin. There's no evidence that they're extraterrestrial. However, it did note that studying UAPs fits into the agency's mission of looking for signs of life beyond Earth. Mm-hmm. Okay? Mm-hmm. So they are leaving that possibility open. From studying water on Mars to exploring the moons of Saturn and Jupiter, I guess that all ties into UAPs. Uh-huh. I think they just want to know what the heck's going on. Yeah. It'd be helpful. A lot of people have said they've seen things. Yeah. I never told anybody else except the vast radio audience here at KCI. That's, yeah. <clears throat> now, what is the what is the issue of revealing to humanity that there are signs of intelligent life beyond our planet, or just what these things are that we see <clears throat> up in the what, air that yeah. are flying around? Yeah. Now, in in the case of what the story you described, the famous skunk works was in, I believe, Burbank area. Wasn't that where they had the, it was a facility, I don't know if it was McDonnell Douglas or somebody, big defense contractor, that's that's job was to build advanced planes and yeah, delivery exactly. systems. So, yeah. so, uh, so just say it's something like that. And, yeah, yeah. You know, we don't need to know any top secret information about right, it. All right. we need to know is well, people like me that we weren't going nuts. No, I guess I'm asking, yeah. rhetorically, I'm asking the question, why couldn't or shouldn't we know that there is a life outside this planet? That's what that would indicate, right? If we saw something flying. Oh, around. I know. Yeah. But yeah. what is there? No, I don't know that that, that would indicate cause... that. You, you first, you, you just talked about the skunk works. Yeah. Yeah. Skunk they, works they... have nothing to do with, You're right. with, yeah. with uh, life on Mars. Right. I'm just kidding about the Mars part. We all know it's true. I always like the idea, though, that, you know, that civilization, people get smart. Yeah. And after a certain degree of intelligence, you just kill yourselves off. Good point. Which is what we're doing right now. Yeah, good point. Yeah. We're smarter than we've ever been. Uh Uh-huh. More technology is available to us. And now we stand at the verge of extinction. Yeah, exactly. So I, I don't really think that anyone's trying to communicate with us. Yeah. And it's hard to believe that they would send a spaceship to this planet and not say something. Yeah. Leave some sort of evidence. Yeah. I I don't know what I suspect, though. Speaking of outer space, did you ever see a meteor? Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah? Streaking across the sky, I believe. Well, I got to believe. Something. You gotta believe. What do you I gotta mean? believe. Of all the things that I've looked up and seen, and watched them fly across the sky, yeah, they had one or two of them had to have been a meteor, right? I don't what have. You a... You've seen things 
Or you don't know that you saw well, a no, meteor. Well, no, I guess I don't know. Nobody said, hey, look at that. That's the... That's a meteor. That's the Nathan meteor that we've yeah. all been talking about. No, I, I don't... Yeah. So you haven't seen a meteor. Maybe I have. Maybe I haven't. You haven't. You don't, you won't, you don't testify that you've seen <laughs> a meteor. Let's review our meteor vocabulary as long as we're here. Okay. A meteor is a streak of light that you see in the sky when a small piece of piece of cometary or asteroidal material enters the atmosphere at high speed and burns up because of the frictional heating from collision with atoms and molecules in the atmosphere. Wow. That's a meteor. That's pretty cool. Before the small bit of comet or asteroid enters Earth's atmosphere, it floats through interplanetary space and is called a meteoroid. Okay. Like a hemorrhoid. <laughs> In okay. fact, some hemorrhoids feel like meteoroids, well, but that's a whole other yeah, story. Yeah, and by the way, in keeping with that, I have seen Uranus. Hmm. Most meteoroids, meteoroids, mm -hmm. you know, the ones that are floating up there in space. Yeah. yeah. Not the ones that we see entering the atmosphere. Mm -hmm. Those are not meteoroids. Those are meteoroids. Okay. Meteors. Okay. Most meteoroids that enter the atmosphere burn up completely as meteors. Okay. Yeah, you got that? Okay. This is very confusing. In some cases, however, the meteoroid does not completely burn up, and the object actually makes it to the Earth's surface. And you know what they call that? A meteorite. When you go down and you pick up a rock, yeah. that's a meteorite. The meteoroid is a thing that's floating up there, okay. and a meteor is the cometing streak of crashing outside the Earth's up. atmosphere. Yeah. Okay. Oof. Oof. Well, I'm done for the day. That's well, exhausting. Well, if you found a meteorite, yeah, it would be no. You find a meteorite, yeah, yeah, you're right, absolutely. <clears throat> it would be composed of ancient material, right? It's yeah. been flying across well, the vastness. They're all composed of ancient material. Yeah. Okay, it's just it's it's almost like a, a verbiage type. I mean, a verbiage, yeah, a verbiage type of thing where they're doing different things. It's the action of this piece of rock that mm. defines it okay. from a meteor streaking through our atmosphere to a meteoroid just floating up in space to a meteorite, which is sedentary, just sitting on our planet. From BBC News, NASA's $10 billion James Webb Space Telescope got dinged by a micrometeoroid. Yeah, I saw that. The micrometeoroid doesn't appear to have fuzzed the Webb's vision significantly, you know, what they're taking pictures of outer sure, space sure. with or rendered it incapable of performing revolutionary observations of the universe, including capturing light emitted more than 13 billion years ago near the dawn of time. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Molly remembers the dawn oh, of time. Well, he remembers a lot of things. <laughs> After initial assessments, the team found the telescope is still performing at a level that exceeds all mission requirements despite a marginally detectable effect in the data. Hmm. This kind of worries me a little bit. Yeah. yeah. I wonder if they're covering things up a little so they can... I know they're trying to work on it and get it fixed, but... Is this the new telescope? Yeah. This is the brand new one. Yeah. It's not the old... Well, okay. okay. James Webb. Yeah, James Webb. Okay. Uh, the 18 segments of the mirror can be individually modified in response to meteoroid impacts such as this one, NASA said. Mm. By adjusting the position of the affected segment, engineers can cancel out a portion of the distortion, although not all of the degradation can be canceled out this way, the NASA blog said. Mm. Engineers have already performed a first such adjustment for the recently affected segment and additional planned mirror adjustments will continue to fine-tune 
this correction. Hmm. So they must have a system up there. This yeah. making... I'm sure they had some idea that this could happen and they were yeah. pre- prepared for it in some way. But... The exact size of the micrometeoroid that dinged the $10 billion James Webb Space Telescope is not known. You were thinking about the Hubble there. Before. Yeah, that's what I was yeah. thinking of Hubble. Thank you. Yeah, but it may have been no bigger than a grain of th- sand. Oh, my God. See right here, I got this little piece of something in yeah, my pocket. Look at that. Oh, yeah. That's, that's yeah. bigger right there. Yeah. This looks like a uh, poppy seed. Mm-hmm. What's a poppy seed doing in my pocket? It was there. Huh. Anyway, it's smaller than a poppy seed, wow. maybe even. Yeah. Ding this $10 billion James Webb Space Telescope. But even something that small can cause damage because of the tremendous speed at which the telescope orbits the sun. Those speeds in outer space that objects fly around in are pretty amazing, yeah. pretty phenomenal. Yeah. You know it? You've been that fast before? No. You've Never experienced been How would you know it was phenomenal if you haven't experienced it? Well, all you have to do is say the number of how fast it is moving through yeah. space and... I think I would probably respond, wow, that's pretty phenomenal. A number impresses Just you? Just like, say, 10,000 miles a, a minute or something. Or you I mean, have to take them 10,000 miles a nanosecond. Yeah, there you go. Something like that. But, I mean... The speed of light. We've been around space travel, space exploration for a while to know that these things are moving very, very quickly. With a lot of numbers. With a lot of big phenomenal. numbers behind them. Yes, they're phenomenal. Yes. If this news makes you feel like a grain of sand or a feather on the breath of God, may I recommend a donation to KUCI to help you overcome this existential BS? Just go to KUCI.org. Your generous donation is how we stay on air. Commercial free, free form, free speech radio, KUCI 88.9 FM. Whoa! Excited again, I Mm -hmm. hear. So how are you preparing for the coming climate crisis, Mike? Funny you should mention that, Nathan. Yeah? Were you just kind of polishing up your your shovels to dig a grave? Shovels and... Solar panels? You putting any of those in? Solar panels. You're putting in solar panels? No, not yet. Sunscreen? (laughs) Yes. That? I have a lot of sunscreen, actually. Yeah. I, yeah, I do, but got, I don't think I have enough. But got I some think, hats, got some hats, dark glasses, got some glasses. An emergency checklist. <laughs> you, do you have like one of those things like we do in with an earthquake, where everybody says, you in your, case of an earthquake, let's all meet over at Grandpa's house. Right, right, right. Yeah, with, yes, no. no, we don't. We have no yeah. plan. This in is case the, of a climate crisis. Yes, this, let's all curl up and and yeah. whimper. Yeah. Yeah. That's my plan. Yeah. Curling up and whimpering. Yeah. From Los Angeles Times, responding to California's extreme drought, state water regulators have ordered many farmers, agricultural water districts and cities to stop diverting water from rivers and streams along the San Joaquin River. We've talked about this for a while. We all say, well, why are they always making us save water? Yeah. Well, this is what they're doing right now. Well, it's out of they're... necessity. It's not because they want to do this, because they've been protecting these, uh, these ag, ag, ag industries for a long, long time. Yeah. It should give you some idea of just how dire the situation is, that they're finally getting around to putting yeah. some kind of control over how much water they're using. Because that... this affects things politically in that 
yes. people that are making these rules and making these decisions yes. will suffer some fallout from it. Yes. Even though it needs to be done. It has to be done. In all, 4,571 water rights and claims have been curtailed in the Sacramento-San Joaquin Delta watershed, affecting more than 2,000 water rights holders. That's big. This includes 212 public water systems that supply drinking water, among them San Francisco, as well as a list of large agricultural irrigation districts and hundreds of individual farmers. Yeah. The latest curtailments affect water supplies of the San Francisco Public Utilities Commission, as well as East Bay Municipal Utility District and other municipal suppliers. Others with supplies being cut include agricultural water districts such as Merced, Oakdale, Turlock, and El Dorado Irrigation Districts. San Francisco's affected water rights on the Tuolumne River have been used since before 1914, and that's being curtailed. The San Francisco Public Utilities Commission relies on the Tuolumne River for 85% of its supplies. The rest comes from local supplies in the Bay Area. So it's going to get interesting. This is an opportunity for government or for someone to step in and for once and for all declare a state of emergency and take control of all of these hundreds of water districts, these privately owned, these publicly owned water municipalities, districts, whatever they're called, and so we can have a coordinated effort because that's what we need. We have to have a coordinated effort. We cannot allow private interests to dictate how much water is being spent where and how. We just yeah. can't. We can't do it anymore. From, oh, that was it here. Yeah, we're done with that one. Yeah. Are you done? Yeah, I'm done with that. I just, you I, and I have been, I mean, I, I feel like we are a broken record. At least I feel like I'm a broken record on this. But the, the fact that there are hundreds of water districts in the state of California, some version of water districts, is just unconscionable. I don't know if it's unconscionable. It's the way it the way, happened. Yes, that's a better way it to say it. piece by piece. And yeah. we're still holding on to this thing that's outlived its usefulness. Yes, absolutely. From Water News Network. Parts of Southern California increased water usage by more than 25% for the month of April, <sighs> lagging behind most other parts of the state in conservation and appearing to dismiss dire warning, warnings of supply shortages. Using 25% more, that's a, that's a hike there. What are we thinking? What are people doing? I don't know. Cities and towns in the South Coast Hydraulic Region an area that includes Los Angeles and more than half the state's population, used 25.6% more, more water in April than in, in April of this year than in April of 2020. The first year of the uh, current drought, 2020. Yeah. Statewide urban residents used 17.6% more water, marking a small decline from March, but still far less than what is needed to weather a historic drought. The poor numbers in Southern California put more pressure on residents to follow sweeping water restrictions that went into effect June 1st and were ordered by the Metropolitan Water District. Dozens of water agencies, including the Los Angeles Department of Water and Power, reduced residents to either one or two day a week outdoor watering in response to the order. You know, my dad didn't get that memo. Was he just have the... My, my dad is why don't you awful, just, just, awful about just water. Unplug it. 
You mean unplug the water? Yeah. Just turn uh, it yeah, off? Yeah. Yeah. Cause I, I, met yeah. Him. I saw yeah. him the other day. Yeah. 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 I could take it. I could take him. Yeah. Sorry, Dad. Sorry, Dad. But, you know, no, yeah. just tell him it's happened. It's finally happened, Dad. Yeah. I he, know Fox News isn't reporting <laughs> it because they don't tell you anything. You win, Dad. We have, we've run out of water. Yeah. Yeah. What does he do? Does he take long showers? No, no, not that. He just has a lot of non-drought tolerant, non-native plants. Oh, outside. Yeah. Outside. He just yeah. gets out there and all of a sudden he is just the rainmaker, well, you know, when, in terms of watering. And now he has this fountain in the backyard. Yeah. Which we've had for years and years. It's never worked. He's yeah. bought, I can't tell you how many pumps he's bought for this thing. And now this water, this fountain shoots water in the air. Yeah. And then it comes sprinkling down into the, into the receptacle. And it just evaporates water like you can't believe. I mean, yeah. over the course of a couple of days, we're constantly refilling it up so it doesn't get below the certain level, uh-huh. which will essentially destroy the pump. I'm reporting him. You should. Yeah. You didn't hear it from me. But the water yeah. cops will come to the door. Hopefully. Yeah. Because, and I've told him, I hate this thing, Dad. You got to get any. And so he just spent a couple thousand dollars getting it fixed. Yeah. For like the 10th time. Does so it have it, something to do with your mom? Is there some sort no, of. No, there's nothing. It's just some. This. It's like. It's like the I'm sorry, the Christmas story, the the story of the, the 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 husband who wanted the lamp that was the leg, the woman's leg, that no matter how hideous and horrible it is, he insists on having it. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah, well, that's this thing. The woman's leg. Like. You know, you know. Remember I've never the, heard of this story, the Christmas, but I, I, I get the movie, the he Christmas won, he, story. It was a. I it was a what a, Christmas story? It's a movie. Yeah. I know you don't like movies, but yes. The Christmas story. Yes. And and, and a hus- man wants a woman's leg. The husband What has, have I been missing? The husband purchased a a lamp of a woman's leg in a, with a stocking and a Who's in this movie? Uh Darren McGavin. No, no wonder I haven't seen it. I hate Darren McGavin. <laughs> I know how much you do. Let's move on. Let's move on, please. Uh, you know, when you were a young man, did you ever go to a school with no air conditioning? Oh yeah. Because we have them around here. Yeah. Air conditioning in our Tahunga, schools. Tahunga, Lady of Lords. We didn't yeah. have any air conditioning. Yeah. yeah. I didn't have any either. Yeah. Uh, when yeah. I was, uh, and it was in blistering hot. Up junior there. high school. Yeah. yeah. You know that area, the foothills. Yeah. Yep. It's super hot. Yeah. yeah. I, was, I remember being in school when it was 115 degrees. <laughs> Jesus. And and like that, we we left the doors open. We didn't have any windows in this one class. Good idea. Leave the doors. Everybody open. Everybody had the doors open. <laughs> Oh, what else do you do? I know, exactly. If what the else? air moves at all, <laughs> you true. know, because it, everybody is just sweating <laughs> like a dog in there. The teacher is just sweating like a go- dog. He's got a, a shirt and tie on. Of course he's, he does. He's allowed to take his jacket off, <laughs> right. but he needs to leave his shirt and tie on. Right. And his, and his shirt is just drenched with water. And they finally sent us home. You yeah. know, it was, it was heat stroke was the next thing. Well, in the, in the school I was in, they, the nuns were wearing their whole garb, the habits, you know, the whole oh thing. Oh, my God. And they were black. They were yeah. all black. Yeah. Uh. From the Huffington Post, climate change poses a growing threat to American schools. Regions where extreme heat were once rare from the Northeast to the Pacific Northwest now periodically find their buildings unbearably hot yeah. as spring turns to summer and again when classes resume in August or September. In much of the South, air conditioning has long been a necessity, and schools are typically outfitted with centralized systems. But in places like Philadelphia, air conditioning was a luxury decades ago when most school buildings were constructed. Perhaps there was a hot day in mid-June or an uncomfortable swelter in September, Yes, uh, but they were flukes. Yes. No more. 
Urban areas in particular tend to have dangerous combination of older buildings, less money to upgrade them, and concentrated heat. Designed to maximize space in crowded environments, urban schools often lack green space and shade. Asphalt often covers their playgrounds and other open spaces, radiating heat during the summer. A study by the Government Accountability Office found that about 41% of public school districts in the United States need to update or replace the heating, cooling, and ventilation systems in at least half of their schools. That represents about 36,000 schools nationwide oh that are going to need help as this uh, climate crisis continues. Well, the good news is it will provide opportunities for gainful employment as we begin the process yeah. of rebuilding and reimagining schools. We're going to need a lot of money for that. Well, money generates money. If we have people working on this, they're being paid, they're spending money in the economy, it will help. That's or, a, oh, go ahead. Or, well, or we could have somebody like uh, Elon Musk, who's a great man. Oh, yeah, so great. He could, he could stop dicking around with Twitter yeah. and help something important here. If I were starting a political party right now, yeah. which I wish I could, yeah. but I can't, and that would be, we would be, the philosophy and the talking points of that party would be, we need to start talking about what climate damage is and how we're going to manage it. That would be the sole purpose of the political party, to start talking about moving forward from this point. No one's doing that at all in the political realm. No one's talking about how are we going to manage climate damage. From the New York Times... The amount of planet-warming carbon dioxide in the atmosphere broke a record in May, continuing its relentless climb. It is now 50% higher than the pre-industrial average before humans began the widespread burning of oil, gas, and coal in the late 19th century. There's more carbon dioxide in the atmosphere now than at any other time in at least 4 million years, National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration officials said. The concentration of the gas reached nearly 421 parts per million in May, the peak for the year, as power plants, vehicles, farms, and other sources around the world continued to pump huge amounts of carbon dioxide into the atmosphere. So I'm thinking it's death wish time here yeah, yeah, for yeah, the yeah, human race. Yeah. You know, all those, those uh, UFOs? Yeah. They didn't exist. Well, why would they because, want to? Yeah. yeah, because they killed themselves off, just like we're doing right now. <laughs> there is a school of thought that yeah. civilizations get to a certain point. That's what I was yeah, saying. Yeah, yeah, that's what you're yeah. saying. Yeah, exactly. That. Emissions totaled 36.3 billion tons of carbon dioxide in 2021, the highest level in history. We're number one. We're number one. I don't know if this... <laughs> Have something to say there? I can do that again. No, no, that's fine. You were saying, I don't know. I don't know if you're going to cover this particular story, but the story that is evergreen for me yeah. is I just saw uh, an article about the Atlantic Stream slowing down. Again, oh, yeah. You I like that Atlantic Stream I love to bring this up because, yeah. because, because, what because are we. Because of the wonderful things it does. Yes, that's right. That's right. It's uh -huh. exactly right. How are we going to get it? back up to speed we won't we can't 
You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM, Irvine, California. Visit us on the web at KUCI.org, on Facebook at Facebook.com slash KUCI 88.9, on our Tumblr blog at KUCIRadio.tumblr.com, and on Twitter and Instagram at KUCIFM. From Investopedia. I don't even know what that is. But its name is Investopedia. It's a, a business paper. I would assume. The U.S. Social Security Program Trustees Annual Report dropped last week. The report documented that the program's condition had actually improved a little bit last year. We're always hearing these terrible stories about how we can't afford it, and yet it's improving. The trustees' data underscored that the cost of maintaining Social Security benefits at current levels or even expanding and improving them is well within the capacity of the American economy, at least to the end of this century. That's a ways off. Yeah. Which is as far as the trustees even looked. Yeah. Okay. 2300. What Wasn't it fairly recently we were told that we had the, during the George II administration? Yeah. Absolutely. Social Security is going to crash and it's going to take us all down. Well, this is all the rich bastards that don't want the money going to help normal people. Right. They they see it as somehow preventing them from having more wealth through their corrupt businesses. Or, or even more pernicious than that. <clears throat> They're looking for an opportunity to privatize Social Security yeah. so that they can get that money put into somewhere where we'll spend all our money on Social Security brokers who will invest our money yeah. in the stock market. Well, that's a good idea, huh? Yeah, real good. The trustees project that the depletion of the Social Security trust funds would take place in 2020, 2035. There'd be a depletion then. Yeah, yeah. Would, but it's actually improved because the last year they said it was 2034. So it's okay. not going to be that far off. At that point, though, enough money would be coming mostly from payroll taxes to cover 80% of the then scheduled benefits, up from 78% a year ago. Okay. The improvement was due in part to the unexpectedly powerful economic rebound after the brief pandemic period, okay. you know, when they were measuring it there. I'm not saying that pandemic's been brief, but compared to the rest of our financial history, it has been. Yeah. This improvement didn't stop news organizations and budget deficit hawks from telling us that the sky is falling. The Washington Post, that's what I hate about that paper. It can be good in a lot of things, but some of their editorials suck. They warned of the Social Security and Medicare disaster looming ahead. The Committee for the Responsible Federal Budget, a hive of budget hawks, warned that the latest Social Security projections show the program is quickly headed toward insolvency. And it doesn't. The most important figures in the 268-page trustees' report may be those squirreled away in an appendix on page 218. These figures project the cost of Social Security as a percentage of gross domestic product, that is, a share of the American economy. They show that the program is eminently affordable, that there will be plenty of headroom in the economy thanks to its continued growth to expand the program and increase benefits. Good. Yep. This year, Social Security's combined cost for retirees, those with disabilities and underpants, will come to about 4.98% of the economy, or $25 trillion. Some of our closest allies in the developed world spend much more than we do. Japan spends 10.5%. Right on uh, Social Security. France, 15.3% of GDP. And Germany, 125 And we're down at 485 Part of the reason for this program needs to be understood 
as a public utility and a public good is that it's one of the few things we all agree on. Okay. Except for the rich bastards in the <clears throat> Washington Post. Exactly. Who won't, by the way, who owns the Washington Post is Jeff yeah. Bezos. So, yeah. uh, by the way... He wants to probably sell Social Security on Amazon. <laughs> by the way, these kind of programs, unemployment insurance, Social Security... This is money that goes right back into the economy. These things actually, if properly dispensed and, and uh, by people who know how to do these kinds of things, the amount of money that's given out, this money goes right back into the economy. These people don't spend it on a luxury yacht. They nope. spend it on food, clothing, things that they need. So yep. BS to say otherwise. <sighs> The calm that comes from this year's trustees' report on Social Security is a reminder that we all have a stake in the system and it works well. Yes. No need to panic. Things are okay. Don't listen to the a-holes that are telling you it's time to panic. They have an agenda. They want your money. That's they right. don't want it to be shared with everyone through a program. From the Washington Post, a small drug trial is having a seismic impact in the world of oncology. That would be your blood doctor there. After six months of an experimental treatment, tumors, tumors mm -hmm. vanished in 14 patients diagnosed with early-stage rectal cancer who completed the study by the time it was published. Researchers in the field of colorectal cancer, colorectal cancer are hailing the study as a groundbreaking development that could lead to new treatments for other cancers as well. The patients all shared the same genetic instability in their rectal cancer and had not yet undergone treatment. Each was given nine doses of intravenous dostarlimab, dostarlimab a right. relatively new drug designed to block specific cancer cell protein that, when expressed, can cause the immune system to withhold its cancer-fighting response. After six months' scans that once showed naughty, discolored tumors, instead revealed smooth pink tissue. There you go. No traces of cancer were detected in scans, biopsies, or physical exams. By the way, this was all of the patients. Yeah, it was only 14 patients, yeah. but all the patients... All of them, yeah. which is unheard of in a, yeah. in a clinical trial. Yeah. That's pretty damn amazing. <laughs> you can't, can't yeah. do any better. Congratulations. Yeah. little howl out, Mom. Yeah. My, yeah. Good stuff. Yeah. Oh, thank you, Mommy. You ever take that guy for a walk? You know, not lately. Uh, I haven't been. He, he's he been kind of standoffish lately. I don't know what the problem is. He, he likes to smell things. You know? Well, he does. Yeah, that's yeah. true. Well, I do, too. It's good. I mean, well, yeah, but, yeah, but he really likes to yeah, smell things. Yeah. You like to watch movies. I do. Yeah. I do. You like to feed your soul with cinematic pleasure. Mahler, on the other hand, he could give a damn about movies. That's true. He likes smelling things. <laughs> he does. In a, in, when he smells things, there are whole stories. There's yeah. narrative smells. Yeah. Yeah. There's documentary smells. <laughs> Foreign film smells. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. All, yeah, those all of those things for him. From Science News, trained dogs have been used to sniff out lost hikers, wildlife scat, invasive species, illicit goods, and even cancers. A new study has shown that dogs may be better at detecting COVID-19 than PCR tests. Yes, and those are those nose swabs or, right. or blood samples. Right. They're uh, poly uh, polymerase chain reaction. 
is what it, that PCM stands for, okay. in case you're wondering. I was. Yeah. And they're the gold standard. Mm-hmm. They're the best. So a dog's nose is doing them the best. Yeah. Then the, the tests that find the DNA or the RNA of the pathogen. Then amazing. Mahler can do that just with his nose. That's amazing. Good boy, Mahler. I, Good I, boy. During the, I'll say a year ago, some time ago, during the height of the pandemic, as it was starting to cool off, they were having an outdoor event. Uh, some, it was a concert of some kind. They had two or three dogs stationed at the entrance, yeah. sniffing people as they Good. went in. And, right. they, oh, and they were at 98%, 97% um, um, what am I trying to say? Success rate in terms of identifying people. Yeah. This is amazing. Yeah. Dogs identified positive COVID-19 cases among 335 people at 97% accuracy after taking a whiff of human sweat samples. And during the test, the team found that dogs found all three, 31 COVID-19 cases in the 192 patients showing no symptoms. They were finding asymptomatic folk. The study suggests that with the proper scent work, dogs could obtain test results fast in mass screening efforts and reduce the need for invasive nasal swab tests. There you go. Anecdotal evidence also suggests that dogs can pick up asymptomatic cases 48 hours before people test positive for with a PCR test. So they even get it done quicker That's than amazing. before. It's They're a, pre- a better preventative. For the study, the researchers used dogs from French fire departments and the Ministry of Interior in the United Arab Emirates. That's an odd little group there. Yeah. Each pup was rewarded with toys like tennis balls if they picked out the virus successfully in sweat samples. <laughs> yeah, Mahler. You know what Mahler likes, though. Come on. Yeah, Mahler. Get out of there. Yeah. That's what Mahler. Get him. Get him. Smell like COVID. Go ahead. Yeah. 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 <laughs> the training took yeah, Mahler, yeah. The training took anywhere between three to six weeks, depending on the dog's experiences with odor detection. And they usually had them they were pre trained in odor detection. Wow. The dogs used in the study had previous rigorous scent training and many could sniff cancer drugs or dangerous goods beforehand. But That's yeah, amazing. Just that is a great story. Thank you, Nathan. You made my a, day. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. This one won't make your day, but I'm going to say it anyway. Go ahead. From Euronews, mm-hmm. 18 people have gone to trial in Marseille, France, accused of running a European horse meat trading network. God. The main defendants from France, Germany, Belgium, and the Netherlands, and Spain are charged with organized fraud and forgery and deception of goods that endanger human health because they were selling bad horse meat. I mean, horse meat isn't in and of itself, yeah, bad, yeah, yeah. But this was, it was rancid or Ran- un- rancid horse yeah, meat, yeah. yeah. Okay. One of these accused is 58-year-old Jean-Marc Decker, a horse trader from Bastogne, Eastern, Eastern Belgium, who was prescribed by pro- who's described by prosecutors as a the pivot of a vast international horse trafficking network. It's alleged. People working for Decker or his suppliers acquired horses from private parties, promising them a peaceful retirement for the horse and good care before slaughtering them. More than 150 horse owners were victims of the alleged scam, of which about 50 have filed civil suits. Yeah. (sighs) We have a wild horse problem here in the United States. 
wild horse. This yeah. has nothing to do with that. I understand, but they, but okay. Yeah, yeah. But we we're, we're, we don't have a wild one. The problem is, is you just let them run. Yeah, but they're they they like to have sex. So there's a lot more of them than than we're able to manage anymore. That's a problem. Well, I think the management part is the problem. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, yeah. I think we have plenty of lands for the horses. I don't think they're doing a lot of damage. Right. Other than humans think that they're yeah. intruding on their terrain. Yeah. I'm in favor of the wild horses. Me too. <sighs> From the Associated Press, Axon, or Axon, the company best known for developing the Taser, said it was halting plans to develop a Taser-equipped drone after a majority of its ethics board resigned over the controversial project. Axon's founder and CEO Rick Smith said the company's announcement last week which drew a rebuke from its Artificial Intelligence Ethic Board, that's an odd one, huh? Mm -hmm. was intended to initiate a conversation on this as a potential solution. This sounds like uh, corporate speak here, but Smith said the ensuing discussion provided us with a deeper appreciation of the complex and important considerations around the issue. Another way to chase your tail. Yeah. The board had voted 8-4 to four a few weeks ago to recommend Axon not proceed with the Taser drone and voice its concern about introducing weaponizing drones in over-policed areas. Yeah, well, duh. But after the mass shooting in Uvalde, Texas Elementary School, the company announced it was beginning to develop the drone, the Taser drone. Uh-huh. Uh, Smith said he made the idea public in part because he was catastrophically disappointed in the response by police who didn't move in to kill the suspect for more than an hour. (sighs) Not to get too far into it, but how can you be catastrophically disappointed? Yeah. I mean, you're disappointed. You're immensely disappointed. What was the catastrophe in your disappointment? That you were disappointed? Yeah. I don't like this guy, this Rick Smith guy. This is from his language. Yeah. Speak some sense here. We're all shocked about this happening, and maybe uh, a drone could have helped, but if they spread them into other parts of our uh, culture and our life and our public well-being, I don't know that they will, and that's what the board is concerned with. The board issued a rare public rebuke of the Tracer drone project, saying it was a dangerous idea that went far beyond the initial proposal the board had reviewed for a Taser-equipped police drone. Yeah. It said it had pleaded with the company to pull back before the announcement and that many of them believed it was trading in on a tragedy, on the tragedy of Uvalde, Uvalde and Buffalo shootings. Yeah, this is, a, this is an important... Um, you're touching on something that's very important. Yeah. The private public sector policing, um, the nexus of that. Yeah. Private companies who are moving into the public realm, who are a part of policing now. And one in particular is this company Exxon, which are Exxon that you're talking about. Uh-huh. And the ability of them to identify, you know, people who, who they suspect might be doing something bad or whatever. It's a really interesting and important uh, part of our public safety discussion that we don't talk much about. Yeah. But it, this private sector stuff is at least as advanced as anything that the police have. 
Yeah. It's more so. And and the capabilities are truly harrowing. If, yeah. if, 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 if well, I say don't tread on my teaser drone Second Amendment rights. Yeah. That's what I say. Meanwhile, police have killed more than 1,000 people with tasers since 2000. Yeah. So. Yeah. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah, this is, exactly. It's it's it, a dicey, it's a sensitive subject. You should open it up. Yeah. In, in some ways, Rick Smith had the right idea, but he is kind of trading on the mood right now. This is something that's going to take a long time, and, and uh, right. or hopefully it will, and come up with a solution where we don't need these things. Right. From the Hill, an attempt to distract the public from the horrific Robb Elementary School shooting in Uvalde, Texas, Texas State Representative Brian Slayton, a Republican from Mineola, said he plans to introduce legislation next year aimed at protecting kids from drag shows and other inappropriate displays. Oh, my God. I promised my voters... Well, let's see here. I promised our voters I'd stand up for their (laughs) values and fight to protect Texas kids. Slayton said in a statement, I was reelected on that promise and I intend to keep it by authorizing legislation to defend kids from being subjected to drag shows and other inappropriate events. Look forward to working with my colleagues to pass this important legislation and uh, attend a few of those drag shows myself. (laughs) I love that RuPaul. Would uh, Monty Python be considered a drag show? I was wondering. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Like, Kids in the Hall. Yeah. That was certainly be a, yeah. Dame yeah. Edna Everidge. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, Flip Wilson's, uh, what was her name? He used to play the woman. Flip Wilson. Flip Wilson. Oh, yeah. Yeah, uh, whatever Ernest, it was. Ernestine or Ernestine, uh, something yeah. like that. Whatever, yeah. yeah. All that stuff. <sighs> so, Mike, if you took all the people in the world and you ground them up in a meat blender, uh-huh. how big a meatball do you think you could make? <laughs> No idea, Nathan. I have a feeling you're going to tell me. From IFL Science. If you put all the living people in the world into a really big blender, extracted all the meat product, and decided to shape it into a human meatball, the resulting meatball would be smaller than you think. Okay. The density of a human is 985 kilograms per cubic meter, and the average human body mass is around 62 kilograms. Okay. If blended up, 16 humans would fit into a cubic meter. 16 humans in a cubic meter. Okay. So for the 7.88 billion people in the world, they could be squeezed into 496 million cubic meters. And this meatball would be just under a kilometer wide or about three Eiffel Towers tall. That's it. If you, and you just yeah. kind of spin the, yeah. spin the Eiffel all- Tower around. Okay. Right. It would fit into Central Park is the thing. So all of us human beings, yeah. ground up. Just for our meat, yeah, packed into a big meatball, yeah, we wouldn't even fill up. You could, you Central could park. store it here in Irvine yeah, right. on the campus. Maybe uh, at the Great Park, we could all be the stuffed Great in Park. The, yeah, yeah, it's a yeah. good idea. Yeah. yeah, I think it's a good idea. Yeah, and finally, from the Denver Post, in southern Colorado, a tiny town is trying to change its name, Mofat, Colorado. You ever been there? Mofat? Don't think so. Mofat, Colorado, is home to a little more than 100 residents, and many of them are cannabis growers. Oh. So, Mofat, Colorado's board of trustees, is weighing a proposal to rename their town after a strain of indica cannabis and become Cush, Colorado. <laughs> you can subscribe to the Weekly Signals Weekly Review podcast at weeklysignals.com. WeeklySignals.com 
subscribe now.